Well, hey, good morning, everybody. It is uh, really a privilege for me to be here with you guys today. Uh, you probably already know this, but uh, Pastor Mike isn't here. Do you notice that? Yeah, no. He and, uh, he and Heather and the family are getting some time off, so that's really, uh, really good. And it's a privilege for me to have a chance uh, to be here together with you guys today. If you don't know me, uh, like V said, my name is Mark Schultz, and I get to be the senior pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church, which means all four of our sites... Uh, which means I get to go around and visit all four of them, and it's really a privilege for me uh, to get to do that, and really great to be here with you guys today. Um, Would you bow your heads and would you pray with me? Lord, uh, I pray as we begin this new series, this really, really important series on reconciliation, and what it means to have relationships that are shaped the way you would shape them. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, the words I'm about to speak and the thoughts that we think as we meditate on your word and what that means for us today and every day of our lives. Lord, I pray that that would all be truly acceptable in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer, and as we just heard your word say, our reconciler, who reconciled us to you through the blood of Jesus. Amen. So what did you get for Christmas? That's not a rhetorical question. I want to hear. What'd you get? Somebody, somebody tell me. Yeah, what'd you get? Those shoes, cool. Are those Jordans? Oh, very cool. Nice, nice. You got a tattoo? Really, like a real tattoo? Wow, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Anybody? That's that's like the gift that keeps on giving all year long, right? Yeah, right. Anybody else? What'd you get? What'd you get? Money. Money. So you're at that age where like money's cool, right? It doesn't, it, that happens, doesn't it? When your, your kids are kids and they're like, you know, they want stuff. You know, if you give them money, they're like, yeah, whatever. They want stuff. And all of a sudden they're like, money, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's cool. Anybody else? What'd you get? Yeah, what'd you get? Wow, plane tickets. First class, I bet. No, maybe not. <laughs> no, that's cool. That's awesome. What retreat? Tell me. Oh, neat. That's awesome. What a cool gift. That's cool. So, uh, so here's what I got for Christmas. First of all, I got a new coffee maker, which is pretty awesome because I really needed one. Uh, it had gotten to the point where, you know, I'd make coffee and I'd pour it out of the pot and put it in the cup and it wasn't even steaming, like the coffee pot wasn't even making it hot, you know, it was just like, it was terrible. So, so I got a new coffee maker. That was really cool. Um, and I got from my sister-in-law, uh, she makes these candied pecans. And she normally just gives our family like a container of them. But this year, she was like, no, no, this is just for you. This is a special gift for you because she knows I love them so much. Uh, But here's the problem. They're gone already. In fact, it may be that now that Christmas is done and and the joy is done, that the gifts are already starting to fade into the background, right? Let's try a little experiment. Let's start the sermon again. What'd you get for Christmas five years ago? Anybody remember? Yeah, it's pretty tough, isn't it? Yeah, see, the, the fact is, I mean, there are those gifts, like a tattoo, that will keep on giving your whole life, right? And that you may remember. There's probably a few of those. But the fact is, for the most part, many of the gifts that we get, we don't even remember what they are, and they're just gone all too fast. So a number of years ago, uh, I did a sermon at our Kimberly Way location. And in fact, we were only one location at that time. So it was, a, it was a, quite a few years ago, more than 10 years ago. But when people came into church that morning, up in front of the room was that. 
just an empty casket with the lid propped open. And as you can imagine, some people didn't like that very much. They thought that was kind of weird. Uh, other people were very curious to see what we were going to do. Uh, but, but the sermon, here's what I did. I, it, see, the casket really wasn't empty. Uh, they just couldn't see that there was stuff in that casket. Stuff like money. Stuff like plane tickets. Well, there weren't plane tickets, but you get the idea. There, 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 were, there was all this stuff in the casket, and I kept pulling stuff out of the casket and, and talking about it a little bit and going, but guess what? When you die, you can't take this with you. It doesn't go with you. And, and, I, and I, kept, I kept doing that until finally just about everything was out of that casket and just about everything that we had put on the table in front, people were realizing none of that stuff was really going to last. You can't take it with you. Eventually, it's all going to be gone except one thing the last thing that i had waited to pull out of that casket and you know what it was it was a picture of my family did you ever think about the fact that the only thing in this life that you will take with you into the next life is your relationships your friendships people in your family those relationships that we have are really the only thing that will last truly forever. And that's why we're doing this series. That's why talking about relationships is so important. That's why focusing on the people that God has placed in our lives is so crucial. And, uh, and i got to tell you, I'm really excited about this next month. Uh, because at all four of our campuses, at all four of our sites, we're going to be taking this journey together, as V said before, this reconciler's journey that we want to look at. But before we do that, I just want to read um, a psalm to you. Now, uh, now I don't know about you, I don't know what you do for daily Bible reading, but this year I just started a new uh, daily Bible reading plan. I always start something new on New Year's Day. Um, and this year uh, I'm using a, a, an app, and I don't want to go into too much detail on that. You can ask me after service later if you want to know more, and I'll tell you. But one of the things that this app does is it gives you a psalm every day to, to read through and pray through. And, uh, and the psalms are just beautiful, uh, uh, little bits of worship and prayer uh, that God has given us. And I want to read you one of these. Uh, this is Psalm 133, and it's a psalm that is really all about relationship. Uh, listen, listen to the psalm. I'm going to read the whole thing. It's only three verses long. How wonderful it is, how pleasant, when brothers and sisters live together in harmony. For harmony is a as as precious as fragrant anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head and ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And the Lord has promised his blessing, even life forevermore. Now, I, I want to just go back and unpack those words for you just a little bit. Uh, because first of all, recognize that they were written 3,000 years ago. Okay, so the images in them uh, might need a little updating for us, right? 
But first of all, he starts with this idea. He says, it's wonderful, it's pleasant, it's beautiful when brothers and sisters, and he doesn't mean family members here necessarily, although that would certainly be included. Really, he's talking about all relationships. He says how how wonderful and beautiful it is when we, together with the people that God has given us in our lives, our family and our friends, live together in harmony. He says that's a beautiful thing. And then the first example he gives is, he says it's as precious as Aaron, who was the high priest, when he takes oil and pours it on his head and it runs through his hair and his beard and drips down onto his robe. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds gross to me, all right? If you said to me, hey, this morning, uh, you know, Mark, we, we, have this, we have this thing. We take guest preachers and we pour oil on their head. I'd go, no, thank you, right? But, but, but in, in 3,000 years ago, that was a little different. You see, they didn't shower regularly, and, uh, and, and the chance to have fresh oil, fragrant oil in your hair and in your beard, on your head, that was really, really good thing. It felt really, really good. I was trying to think, what would be maybe the best example of that today? And I think maybe I have one. Imagine it was like 10 degrees outside, and you had to shovel the driveway when you got home, and, and you were out there in the bitter cold, freezing your butt off, shoveling the driveway, and you got in the house, and you went straight to the bathroom, and took off all your clothes and hopped into a just a really hot shower and you just let the water just run over now that would feel pretty good right that's kind of like the image here he says he says there's this just this beautiful feeling that you just want to stand there and enjoy it that happens when our relationships are going the way god planned when we're living in harmony the, the, the next example, he says, harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon. Now, now again, unless you lived in a place uh, like where this psalm was written, you wouldn't get this one. Uh, you see, where this psalm was written in Israel, uh, they have what they call a dry season that literally lasts six months. It, it, will, it's not, it will not rain for six months. Um, I was in Israel once, and it was the beginning of November, and that's right about when the dry season ends and the rainy season starts. And, uh, and, and we were actually kind of hoping that we'd get our whole visit there in before the rain started. Uh, but it was the second last day of the trip, and all of a sudden we were in Nazareth, and it started to pour. And we were all bummed. We we're like, oh, crap. You know, we were kind of, you know, now we've got to find umbrellas, and we're all getting wet. And we were, we were enjoying the sunshine. But around us, people are like high-fiving in the streets. They hadn't seen rain in six months. And, and, and everything was dry and dusty, and the, the rains bring new life, and the, and the rains uh, bring just, I mean, it cleans the streets for the first time in, in months and things like that. They were, they were just thrilled that it was raining. Again, that's the image here, that, that, that when our relationships are working the way they're supposed to work, it's like that. It's like the rains have returned and are cleaning everything, and just and and the smell in the air is beautiful. But it's the last verse I want to make sure you didn't miss. It says, "And the Lord has pronounced His blessing, even life forevermore." In other words, like I was saying before, what this psalm says is that our relationships are eternal. They last forever. The people that you know and love now that will be with you in heaven, you'll get to spend eternity with them. That's why relationships are so important. And that's why um, it's so bad when they don't go the way we planned. And in fact, that's sadly the world we live in, isn't it? 
We fight with our spouses. I've never found a marriage where there wasn't some tension and conflict sometimes, right? We, uh, we don't always get along with our siblings. We don't necessarily get along with our coworkers. Now, by the way, you don't even have to be in the same room to fight, right? You can just whip out Facebook and make a comment on their Facebook page and, uh, and, and get that going a little bit. Or um, I'm amazed at some of the texts that people show me that people have sent to them, right? Somehow it's safer when they're 10 miles away on the other end of the phone. We can say things we would never say face-to-face, and it just makes it worse, doesn't it? The fact is, our relationships are not always what God wants them to be. I was thinking about this book. Any, any of you read Dr. Seuss books when you were a kid? Remember this one? Day play. We play all day. Night fight. We fight all night. Parents are going, yep, that's what happens, right? It's so easy to let our relationships be less than what God planned. And it isn't easy to fix them. I just want to make sure that you understand that. I'm not going to give you three easy ways to fix all your relationships this morning and then we're done and we can go on to something else next week. It really is a journey. It really is something that takes time and effort and focus in our lives. And, uh, and, and so we are going to take four weeks to look at this together. Um, in fact, the real practical steps uh, are going to come in the next few weeks as, as Pastor Mike uh, works his way through those things with you. But today, as V said before, we just want to get a vision for what that could look like. What would it be like if our relationships were all that God planned them to be? And how can we work towards that? What's the thing that we need to work towards that? Now, to do this, we're going to take a look at the story of a family. Um, if, uh, if you read the Bible and you start at the beginning in Genesis, the first 11 chapters of Genesis are kind of all about this descent into sin that God's creation had. God created this perfect world. He created us to live in perfect relationships with him and with one another. But sin became a part of God's world. And as a result, there, we see just relationship after relationship broken in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. The first relationship that's strained is Adam and Eve themselves. Do you remember that story? They sin for the first time and God shows up and they're hiding. And uh, one of the things I didn't realize till recently when I really looked at the words is they're not just hiding from God. I always kind of pictured, you know, the two of them behind a bush together, like, you know, arms around each other, holding each other, afraid that God was going to find them now that they sinned. But that's not what the words say. They're hiding from each other, too. They're alone for the first time. And, uh, and, 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 and they're afraid and they're scared and, and they realize they're naked for the first time because they're self-conscious. And, uh, and when God comes and he talks to them and he says, what did you guys do? Do you notice what happens? The, 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 the first thing Adam says is, the woman you gave me, God. It's a broken relationship. And then, the next story in the Bible. Anybody remember what it is? What's the very next story in the Bible? Cain and Abel, two brothers. And they fight so much, one of them kills the other one. And it just keeps going and going and going until in chapter 11, near the end of that, that first section of the Bible, we're told that, that people are scattered all over the face of the earth because relationships have broken down. So God decides... He's going to now start to act to fix this. And by the way, Genesis 12 through the end of the Bible 
is all about that. It's all about God's plan to fix our broken relationship with him and with one another. And, uh, and it starts right in chapter 12 where God calls this guy named Abraham. Uh, that's a, that's a, a drawing, obviously. We don't have a real picture of Abraham, right? <laughs> but uh, he calls this guy named Abraham and his wife Sarah. And, and he says to them, I'm going to fix your relationships. I'm going to bless your family. And eventually, through you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Now, you may say, well, wow, they must be a pretty special family if, uh, if God called them. But the fact is, as we study this story, what we're going to find is they're not a special family. There's nothing great about this family. In fact, all the things we talked about before, the, the, the arguments between husband and wife, the arguments between kids, the broken relationships with, with coworkers and friends, they're there in this family. This family does not get along all the time. In fact, they fight, and, and, and they're nasty to one another, and they struggle with one another. They're just like us. So you might say, well, then why are we looking at this family? Well, I'll tell you why. Because in this family, God does a pretty cool thing. And in fact, it's actually uh, one of Abraham's uh, great-grandkids that, that later says this. His brothers had done some pretty nasty things to him. Uh, but, uh, but he's not angry with them. And they're like, we don't get it. Why aren't you angry with us? He was in a position of authority. He could have punished them. They're like, why aren't you doing that? And he says, well, you meant it for evil. You meant the stuff you did to me for evil. You did bad stuff to me. But God used it for good. And so that's what we're going to look at in this story. And specifically, we're going to look at the story between two brothers. A guy named Jacob and a guy named Esau. And we're going to see how God worked through their story. Now, even before they were born, there were problems. Their, uh, their, their mom, Rachel, she, uh, she's pregnant and she knows she's going to have twins because they literally were fighting inside her womb, we're told. They're duking it out in there before they're even born. And, and in fact, in, in Genesis 25, it's, it says this, this was a prophecy given to her. It says, two nations are in your womb and two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. So even before they're born, she knew this was going to be a problem. Now, by the way, when they're born, Esau's born first. But you get the sense that they were, they were fighting to just to see who was going to be born first. Because when Esau comes out, picture this, the doctor, deli- well, don't picture it too much. But anyway, you get the idea. The doctor, or the, the midwife is delivering Esau, and she's like, there's something wrong here. Jacob, we're told, was reaching out, grabbing a hold of the heel of his brother, and he wouldn't let it go. He's like, no, 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 you're not going first. I want to go first, right from the beginning. And we're told after they were born, uh, they were very, very different from each other, even though they were twins. Esau, was, uh, was, he was a hunter, and, uh, and he loved being outdoors. He was, he was kind of like a man's man, right? He, uh, he, he'd be the kind of guy that, that you'd see on a cover of, uh, you know, I don't know, Fish and Stream magazine or something like that today, you know, with a shotgun in one hand and the fishing rod in the other hand. He was kind of the, the ultimate outdoorsman. Jacob was different, though. We're told Jacob didn't like being outside very much. He liked to kind of hang around the tent. 
And, uh, and, and he liked to, to take care of the, the sheep and, the, and the, the other animals and things like that. He was, he, he was just kind of a, a homebody. And, and as a result, these two brothers didn't get along very well. They didn't have a lot in common. And it got worse. Because you see, dad loved Esau and mom loved Jacob. And, uh, and, and so not only were the brothers at each other's throats all the time, but the parents were almost encouraging it by the way they treated their kids. Now, I guess that really shouldn't surprise us, right? Because you've probably experienced that. I know I have. That, that when there's conflict in a family, it's normally not something new. It, it's often something that goes back generations, Right? And, uh, and we see this kind of cycle that happens in families, generation after generation. And the question is, how do we break that cycle? Now, for Jacob and Esau, as we're going to learn in these next weeks as we hear the rest of this story, it just went from bad to worse. They fought all the time as kids. And, uh, and as they get into adulthood, they start doing some pretty nasty things to each other. For example, we're going to learn next week, we're going to talk more about how Jacob at one point tricks his brother into surrendering his birthright. As the oldest, Esau had some some benefits. Now, I I don't think that's true today. I'm the oldest, and I definitely did not get any benefits in my family from being the oldest. Well, maybe. But, But in those days, it was worse. In those days, the older brother, first of all, got a double share of the inheritance right off the bat. And second of all, the the eldest brother was seen as the one who was going to kind of inherit leadership in the clan when dad died. So this was a big deal, and and, and Jacob actually cheats Esau out of his birthright, out of his blessing. We'll hear more about that next week. But but this cycle that has been going on for generations is living out in the life of Jacob and Esau. It's a broken relationship. It's a tragedy so here's the question and what do we do about that how how do we break those cycles of broken relationships of struggle in our lives and the the answer is it's really pretty simple we need a new heart we need a, a new heart a new way to view our relationships we need someone to teach us how to fix our relationships now Back to Abraham for just a minute, uh, the grandpa of these two boys, by the way, Esau and Jacob. When, when God first called Abraham and said, I'm going to use your family as an example here, I'm going to do something amazing through your family, the, part of the promise, the very last part of God's promise to Abraham was this, through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. In other words, what God was saying is that through Abraham, he was going to send someone he had promised, by the way, all the way back in Genesis. He was going to send his own son, God's own son, into this world. A child who would not perpetuate those cycles of violence and conflict, but in fact, would break them. We heard these words uh, as we ramped up to Christmas this year, didn't we? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and then look at that last name for Jesus, Prince of Peace. 
Jesus came to bring peace. First of all, peace between us and God. Through, through our sin, through our brokenness, through our selfishness, we had separated ourselves from God, and the first relationship we needed repaired is the one with God, and Jesus did that for us. But he also came to bring us peace for one another. There's four different times. I counted it up yesterday because I wasn't sure I was right. I wanted to make sure I was. There are four different times in the Bible where it's talking about Jesus. So we're in the Gospels now. Jesus is here on this earth. And it says Jesus saw the crowds and it said he had compassion on them. Now, now the word there is pretty interesting. I want to teach it to you. It's a Greek word, okay, because the, the New Testament was written in Greek. And, uh, and it's a pretty cool Greek word. You ready to learn it? The word is splankna. Can you say that with me? Splankna. All right, and you've got to get the g. Splankna, right? It's really... And you, and you know what it means, literally? Guts. That's what it means. And, uh, and, and actually, it, it, when, it says when Jesus saw the crowd, he had splanknidzo. We translate that as compassion on them. Literally what it means is he had this feeling in his gut. Did you ever see a picture of somebody like, or you know when, I, when it happens to me is when I'm watching like uh, America's Funniest Videos and some kid like jumps off a roof or something like that and you're just like, <gasps> you get that like, oh, that little feeling like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? That's the feeling it's talking about here. This idea that when Jesus saw the crowds... He had compassion for them. And in other words, there was kind of this deep, visceral feeling that they needed something. They needed a new heart. So here's the challenge. As we begin this journey together over these next weeks, to look at relationships. How, how can we see people the way Jesus saw them? Because see, really, that's the only way we're going to care enough about our relationships to fix them. I mean, I could tell you intellectually your relationships are going to last forever, so they should be important to you. And you'll get it up here, but getting it up here doesn't fix our relationships, does it? We need to get it here, or maybe more accurately, here. The only way our marriages are going to be all that God created them to be is if we can see each other through Jesus' eyes. If we can see each other with Jesus' heart. The only way our relationships with our brothers and sisters, our siblings, are going to be what God created them to be is if we can see our brother, see our sister through Jesus' eyes, with Jesus' heart. The only way our friendships or our relationships with our co-workers is ever going to be what Jesus created them to be is if we can see them the way Jesus would see them. And, and again, that's going to be the challenge over these next few weeks. That's the, the journey that we are going to go on together. And it really is a journey. I love this verse from Isaiah. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we might walk in his paths. Folks, working out of relationships is a lifelong journey. It's, gonna, it's not going to get fixed in four weeks. But we can lay the foundation. We can get ourselves on the path, and that's what we're going to do. Uh, I have one more story to tell you before um, I end the message this morning. It's a true story that actually happened in the history of our church, our church family. 
Um, m- many, many years ago, long before I was a part of the ministry here at Trinity, and, and I don't know, Steve, maybe you were around, I'm not sure, maybe there's one or two others in the room that might have been a part of it. There, there were two pastors at, at Trinity, and they got into a conflict with each other. Now you might go, no, not pastors, that would never happen, right? I don't know, maybe more so, right? But, uh, but, but these two pastors got into a conflict with one another, and that conflict became so deep and so big that it split the church. And a few hundred people left with one of the pastors to start their own church. And here's the really sad thing. Some of those people that left, like some of their family was left behind. I mean, li- literally, I know of two brothers that one went with pa- one pastor and one with the other. And you can imagine the struggle that that caused in their family for, for a lot of years. It was a mess. And, uh, and, uh, and, and when, I, when I first came to Trinity, you know, it, people didn't even want to talk about it. You know, the leader's like, oh, yeah, no, we don't, we don't talk about that, you know. And uh, in, in my first congregation meeting I was leading, I had gotten the chart of the history of the congregation and as it had grown. And then, so it's, the congregation's like doing this on the chart. And then all of a sudden it does this. Well, you know what that was, right? That's when all those people left, right? So I put that up there. I, I, I put up there the pastor's name and I said, people leave with pastor so-and-so. And literally, when I put that up on the screen, people in the room went, ah! Here's the really sad thing. There were people on our staff. Some of them had been promised they were going to go with the other pastor, and then they didn't, and so they were left, and there was still conflict on the staff. And, and even though it had happened, let me, let me think, it had happened seven years before I came to Trinity, the wounds were still deep. So I made it my goal that I was going to find a way to get those two pastors back together. And, uh, and sure enough, we were coming up on our 50th anniversary as a congregation. I'm like, wouldn't this be perfect? And, and I, I had this vision of the two of them preaching the sermon together for our 50th anniversary. I thought, wouldn't that be awesome? And so I called the first pastor, and I told him my, my dream, my vision. And you know what he said? He said, that would be incredible. I would love to do that, but I guarantee you he will not. So I called the second pastor, and I shared my vision with him. And you know what he said? That would be wonderful. I would love to do that, but I guarantee he won't. And they wouldn't. And I was so disappointed. Now, we we invited them both to come to the 50th anniversary dinner, and they both came. And I can tell you my favorite moment that night was I was standing there talking to somebody, and all of a sudden my wife came over and she poked me on the back. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm busy, right? And, and she's like, no, 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 you got to look. There were those two pastors talking to each other and hugging each other. Folks, God can heal relationships. I don't care how broken a relationship in your life is. God's love and grace can make a difference. Let's pray that he gives us a heart of reconciliation over these next weeks. In fact, let's pray about that right now. Lord God, um, I pray that uh, you would give us your heart, creating us a clean heart, oh God, creating us your heart. Just as Jesus saw us and had compassion on us, 
He saw the crowds and had compassion on them. Just as he came to restore our relationship with you, let his heart live in us so that we can be people of reconciliation in our lives. Bless this journey that we we embark on starting today, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.